0: Hello, listeners. We're kicking off another episode with our friends over at MentorCam. As a reminder, MentorCam gives you access to high-profile advisors and experts for one-on-one advice. For more information, go to codestory.co slash mentorcam, that's M-E-N-T-O-R-C-A-M, to learn more. Use the discount code CODE, C-O-D-E, all one word, to get 20% off your first mentorship session. Well, today I have another special guest on the Code Story podcast, Josh Campbell. He's a founder and CEO of Human Improvement. Formerly, he was a Starbucks executive and president of a cannabis wellness company. He's founded, funded, and built, and exited multiple startups, and of course, is passionate about mentoring. Josh, thank you for being on the show today.
1: Noah, thank you for having me. Before we jump
0: into building a brand, which is our topic for today, tell me a little bit about you.
1: Well, I'm a recovering accountant. I actually started my career not on an entrepreneurial journey. I started in the world of finance. I ended up getting a couple of finance degrees. and I thought that was the, the path to success, right? So you could work 100 hours a week and make some good money and then retire. I realized relatively early on in my career, I, really, I truly hated it. And I had a, a mentor of mine one time, we were sitting down building a financial model. He looked at me. He said, you don't really love this, do you? I said, absolutely not. He said, what the heck are you doing this for? So he said, get out of here, go do something you love. And that was the impetus I needed to really jump out on my own. So I've had a chance to work in in private equity, on buy side, on sell side. I've been really fortunate to make a lot of mistakes early and build a lot of great businesses, probably built about a billion dollars worth of equity over the years at, at multiple companies. And now, you know, we're trying to move the world to sustainable nutrition with our human improvement brand.
0: You've obviously done a lot of really cool things. I love it that you said recovering accountant. I've never heard that before.
1: Finance is such a great language of business to know the fundamentals of. And I think you can take that language skill and then, and then translate that to something that's actionable. What I found in the world of traditional finance is there's a lot of academics in it would, that would give advice to CEOs, but they've never actually done it before. And I thought that was incredibly hypocritical to be in that space. And it's certainly, certainly easier to be on that side of the fence and, and provide advice, but it's much harder to go out and do it.
0: Well, let's jump into the meat of today's topic. So building a brand. And my first question is, is, is very straightforward. How do you start building a brand? How do you get started building your brand?
1: Well, I think a lot of people think it's a logo. It's, it's the, what your packaging is, and it's so much more than that. If the brand is everything, every touch point that exists, and the, really the reputation of what you're creating. So it starts with figuring out who your audience is and what you're trying to build, first and foremost. It's that reputation. You're laying out the commitment, the promise you're making to the consumer. That's truly what the brand is. You know, I think when you're starting when you're starting off in the journey who do you want to be theres there's people at the high end of the spectrum for sure, and there's people that do a phenomenal job at the lower end of the spectrum right and I think the disconnect is when oftentimes people think they're at the high end but they're really offering a low end product or a value product and you have a mismatch between service price and value
0: so what is different about Building a brand around an unconventional idea, right? So something that maybe not is not the norm. But what is different about building a brand there?
1: Well, I, I mean, my whole career has been around taking um, stigmatized products or you know industries or categories that traditionally haven't had that touch. Whether it's you know coffee, essential oils, cannabis, most recently, or even uh, insect protein. So my playbook, quite candidly, has been take a product that has high efficacy that truly works. There's already a market need for the actual solution the product provides and wrap it up with cool, sexy packaging and create a great experience for it. I've always been in that accessible premium category. I'm always jealous of friends that have brands that are in the discount category because their volume is so high. It, just, it, it can be such a better business sometimes, but for all the businesses I've had a chance to be a part of in that accessible premium, that's where it's worked really, really well and provide a story, right? What's that narrative? What are you truly selling the consumer? You know, a lot of people thought, for example, around essential oils, that it was all about woo-woo crystals and, and snake med- snake oil medicine, right? When in fact, we positioned it as like, no, no, truly a natural remedy, uh, you know, an alternative to Western medicine. And that was the hook that really came into it, right? So, we offer people an alternative to something they're already used to. And that's a much easier route to go than saying, hey, we're creating an entirely new category for a problem you didn't really know you had. That's That's really, really tough you're saying, hey, is it's an alternative solution to something you already know is a big issue and we're doing it at a at a better price or with a better experience that we're used to, that's a much easier entry point into, into the brand.
0: So you know, there's something that, that you're not saying directly, but I'm extracting from what you're saying too, is that the product has to be something good, or at least the way that you've approached it, the product has to be something with efficacy, I think is the word that you used. And then you the brand is what's built around something that's, already good. You can't just build a brand around something that's bad, that does, that won't work.
1: Is that true? I mean, people try that all the time. We see it time and time again. And I think it depends on when you say bad, bad in what regard, right? Because there's all there's a lot of, I mean, how many seltzers are out there right now, right? Taste is subjective to a lot of cases, right? So is it is it delivering the right taste for the right price in the right location. So you can have a poor tasting product, but if someone is looking for high alcohol content, for example, it might just work, right? You know, I think there's a lot of spirits that that fall into that category. And so so it's all about finding that that product market fit. Uh, But yes, the the underlying rule is, yeah, your product can't be crap (laughs) at the end of the day.
0: Okay, so for you personally, how has your traditional experience contributed to your entrepreneurial experience and your entrepreneurial backbone? You know, you, you've you've been formerly you know Starbucks executive. You're a recovering accountant, right? How has that contributed to how you've gone forward?
1: I think it's understanding kind of the language of business as, as kind of quirky as that sounds or cheesy as that sounds, it's understanding how to maneuver. You know, one thing we we often talk about with a lot of our early stage businesses is saying, okay, the problem we're solving for that buyer at a wholesale is different than what we're solving for the consumer and understanding how you play in a large company is really important to understand that dynamic. We see this, you know, quite a lot with, with, with companies we're where scaling up. You know, if we bring in someone who's used to having, uh, you know, a billion dollar business under them at a huge team, they generally don't work out well in in small stage early growth because they're, the, the job they're doing is so dramatically different than what you're doing. You're, you know, at a small stage startup, you're doing everything, right? And so it's it's much more dynamic. You don't have big team structures. You don't have the luxury of lots of resources. And so as you move up in an organization, you become really a resource allocator, a true manager and less entrepreneurial in nature. So by earning my chops early stage in much larger companies, I think it gave me a really interesting perspective of then how to bring the right people into the teams that I'm built and then how to work with those larger companies when we're in the, you know, the selling in phase or we're, we're, you know, we're partnering with them as well.
0: So, okay, comparing packaged goods versus digital products, right? When it comes to brand, is there anything different
1: about building a brand for those or is it, is it the same? I think it's very different. I haven't had much luck in the digital realm. I wish I did. I'm very jealous of of my friends that have you know services and and products with no cost of goods. It would be lovely, no inventory issues and things like that. I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but I love the idea of providing a product that someone buys, right? There's a physical benefit to it. And so the look, the feel, that is so important when it comes to what the with that product experiences as well. Also placement, where you're purchasing that, right? I mean, it's it's changing quite quickly as as, you know, we look and say, well, you know, all All these different forms of delivery right now are dramatically changing the way products, especially in the CPG category, show up. But there's a lot more variables to think about when you're creating a product, physical product for someone versus just a digital product. That being said, you know, with a digital product, you can put out 600 iterations in a week and test a whole bunch of stuff. You can't do that in the physical world, right? You know, one thing a lot of, we get, we get a lot of businesses pitched and, and, you know, people say, here's what's going to work, here's what's going to sell. My, my overarching advice is print off a label, glue it onto your product and like go super old school. Don't waste all this time and money trying to make it perfect. Because you never get it, like perfect is so subjective, especially in physical product. We always say like, just print off it, tape it on and see what people think. Like make your own prototypes. It's not that hard you know a great point is like rx bar that had a massive exit a uh, few years ago i think they used a powerpoint for their first round of labels like there is a big benefit to be able to to being a little uh, a little cheeky like that you know the other big thing is like copywriting is wins every time, right so great copy will really help again much easier to do in the digital space where you can quickly quickly iterate and the system tells you if you're if you're right or not, you don't get that luxury in cpg you you really, you literally need to like print it off, put it on the shelf, and in some cases watch we've done that before we've we've put mock packaging and just watch people interact with it. You learn so much <laughs> by doing it
0: so okay. With, with, you know, physical products, right, is, is your world. What is different about, you know, selling a physical product, right, to retailers versus selling e-commerce, right? It's, it seems like two totally different worlds. Can you speak to what's different between the two?
1: When you're selling through traditional retailers, you've got a couple of kind of stage gates. You, you often have a distributor you need to sell. So you need to convince the distributor to take your products on. Then you need to convince the buyer of that retailer to then take you on. And then you need to make sure it actually sells off of shelf. So the first two things are generally easier than that last thing. And each person has slightly different uh, attributes you're looking for. The distributor is going to want to make sure that you can get on shelf, you can sell through, and there's enough margin for them. They're also going to want to make sure that your product's not too difficult to manage. So if you have things like frozen product, that's really tricky. Refrigerated is also really challenging to do in that category. Then the buyer of that retailer is going to want to look for a lot of things like you know environmental concerns, which the give back some some softer attributes that they can then go internally to their team and say, oh, hey, you know we were the people that brought X Y Z brand in, and here's what we're doing for all these kind of corporate mission things, all really important, mind you. But buyers are typically more interested in some of those attributes than the end consumer is. You know, then when it comes to e-commerce, you're selling based on a quick image in many cases, right? And so what looks good on shelf doesn't always translate to the digital world and vice versa. We've tested a whole bunch of creative copy, for example, with our brand Human Improvement. We designed it to jump off a of shelf. That means we made packaging decisions not to include certain copy because it's already sitting in the protein aisle. So we don't need to tell you it's protein. Well, if you're on Amazon, you do need to say that. Right? You do, people are coming in uh, without that preconceived notion. You're not, you're not seeing it next to different you know, tubs of whey and things like that. And so, understanding that context is really important, and we've made tons of mistakes in, the, in doing that, and we're still figuring it out. You know, I'd say the other big thing is people think, oh, you know, retail's awful, you have all, you know, all these hands in the pot, which means your margin, margins get degraded. And yes, they do, but you're also talking to a very attuned audience when you're going through and so I see a lot of digital businesses that have a high gross margin, but terrible EBITDA margins because they spend so much money trying to get customers in. Whereas if you're selling into, say, a grocery store, well, you bet you all those people that are, are, are there to purchase, right? And so your decision becomes or your goal is to then convince them to purchase your product versus someone else's. And so, again, very, very different mindsets on it. I think, you know, with e-commerce, you've got a huge ability to scale, right? You get paid generally pretty quickly within a couple of days. You know, with traditional distribution, you can be waiting 30, 60 days to get paid in some cases and get all kinds of chargebacks. But you can also move, you can get to 6,000 doors overnight, right? You just, you, you can try and get that on e-commerce, but it it generally, from what I've seen, it takes longer. The other big factor is depending on the type of product you have, if you're selling a liquid product, it is really tough to sell that. If you're, if you're shelling eyelashes uh, or magnetic eyelashes or powders or supplements, that's a really great business for D C. Small, lightweight, high margin products are fantastic for that. Whereas like big, bulky, heavy items certainly do sell online quite a bit. But the margins are really eroded by the cost that it just, you know, it's expensive to ship water at the end of the day.
0: So with the with the liquids, you have another brand that you've created, right? It, it's uh, the Soge Rosé. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah, we, we launched that about a year ago now.
0: So with that brand, and you mentioned with the liquids, have you sold anything online or has it been all through real retailers?
1: We actually originally launched the business as a joke. It was a, it was a you know, the business was, was with a good friend of mine and it, it was designed to be a catalyst for conversation. I'm a, a straight Caucasian man. He's a gay Asian man. We're good friends and we're saying, well, if everyone else could have the, the candid relationship that we do, the world would be a much better place. And so what better catalyst for conversation than a really strong rosé? And so we thought it would really just be D2C. We have a great partner that came on board to help us with it. And we quickly found that, yes, people will purchase online, but people are much more eager to say, can I just grab it at 7-Eleven when I'm going out on a Thursday? Can I just go to Gelson's and pick this? Can I get it at Publix? You know, they wanted the ability to quickly purchase this product. And so we end up reverting back to the three-tier distribution model that alcohol has uh, in the US. That was a situation where even though our margins were okay, because wine has pretty strong margins, um, shipping, the consumer demand was like, listen, I don't want to have to buy four or five bottles at once. I want to be able to pick up, you know, a quick four pack from GoPuff on a Friday.
0: Well, Josh, thank you for being on the show today and talking all things about building a brand, sharing your expertise and your experience. I really appreciate you being on Code Story.
1: You know what? Thanks for having me.
0: Well, this concludes another great chat and expert advice from our friends over at Mentor Cam. Check out all the great mentors and experts by going to codestory.co slash today. Make sure to use the promo code code C-O-D-E for 20% off.